Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 12. The book of Acts, chapter 12. Hallelujah. It is awesome when God's presence moves in our midst. Amen. He just looks for hearts of people that are hungry for him, that desire him above all things. The book of Acts, chapter 12, we'll start reading in verse 25. That's the last verse in chapter 12 because it connects us with the beginning of chapter 13. And we will read until verse 5. So the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 25, when you got it, say so. The word of the Lord says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, they sent them away So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much today for your love toward us. And Holy Spirit, we do reverence you in this place as your presence is moving, Lord God, in our midst. We thank you, Lord God, for your healing grace. We thank you, Lord God, for your healing power. We thank you, God, for what you are doing in hearts all across this room. God, we thank you because you have graced us with your tangible presence this morning in a glorious way. And we thank you so much for that, God. And Lord God, even as your presence moves in our midst, oh God, we pray that you would not be grieved, Lord Jesus, by our hearts as we receive and respond to your word today. God, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. And Lord God, help us, dear Lord, to live out the truths that we're called to live out. God, I pray for your blessing and I pray for you to be glorified. Use me. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline to the message, um, please raise your hand and the ushers will give you one. It's important for you to have an outline, especially if you're in a connect group. Even if you're not in a connect group, um, it's important that you have that. Can you guys in the back, can you turn the lights on uh, totally in the sound booth there, please? Thank you. Um, but it's important that you do have the outline there. It helps you to go along with the message, gives you um, where, my, where my main points are going to be. If you're in a connect group, you're going to be utilizing these to have discussion. I think every group is on the same page now. We finished our community um, study and the book community, and so we should be moving forward with that. Um, it's an exciting time to be able to just sit down. I had a great time. Last week was the first Tuesday that we were actually able in our group to go through the questions, and it was a blessing just to see um, people responding. And like we discussed before, a lot of times when the preaching of the word goes forward, there is a conviction that comes upon our heart. One of the main goals of our community, of our, of our connect groups, is for us to be able to go from the place of being convicted of our sin or convicted in areas where we need to move forward in God 
God to then be challenged by our brothers and sisters to step into that area where God is calling us to. And so in the beginning of the outline here, you'll see there in the, in the introduction, one of the things that has marked the church in the book of Acts is its relentless continuance in its, go- in its gospel mission. Rest assured, this was not simply a will to be on mission, but a burden for the mission imparted by God through the gospel of grace. And so this morning, we're going to talk about gospel mission continues. That's what happened. And what we see throughout the book of Acts that I think is so awesome is that no matter what happens in the lives of the people in the church, they continue to move forward in their preaching of the gospel. They continue to move forward in the message that God has given them. They are desirous to move forward and make sure that everywhere they go, that no matter what kind of pressures arise in their midst, no matter what type of persecution arises, no, no, no matter what type of threats are being sent their way, they want above all things to preach the gospel, to make sure that God is communicating. And the thing that I want you to get is it's not enough just to will to do it, okay? I want to I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of you have had moments in your Christianity where maybe you heard a message preached? Maybe you read something somewhere? Maybe God just began to deal with you in your own prayer time and you had a desire to obey or comply with whatever it was that you were being convicted about anybody anybody have that happen then raise your hand that's happened right now I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand for this one now how many of you had that will that desire and you were all ready to run with it and then you found yourself after a week maybe two weeks maybe not even a day and that will to do that like dissipated right that will to do it kind of went away after a little while I was a youth pastor um prior to us starting this church. And, and during my time as a youth pastor, we used to do youth, you know, youth retreats. And so we would go away to these youth retreats and everybody looked forward to youth retreats, you know, because what would happen? You would go away on this retreat, the Holy Ghost would get a hold of you, right? You were locked up, you know, back then, not everybody had cell phones like today. You know, we, we, they had probably had, they, I don't even think they had MP3 players, glory to God. Anyway, the point of the matter is that, you know, we would dis, dis, disconnect them from their electronics and was like, okay, you know what, we want you to just focus. And day one, it was kind of rough, right? You know, day, day one, everybody was still in the flesh, glory to God. They, 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 they didn't, they, 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 well, I don't know, they were maybe tired from the ride or whatever the case was. And then the second day, usually, and, and, and for us, we used to do retreats that lasted probably like two days. And so by the second night, like this morning, you know how there was like that great breakthrough that we had in, in worship and stuff? That, it, it was like that, the second night. And every, I mean, all these young people, I remember the last youth retreat we went to, it was just ridiculous. The Holy Ghost was filling people. The power of God was manifesting. It was, it was amazing. People were getting saved. It was awesome. The preacher couldn't even preach that day because the Spirit of God was just moving in such an intense way, and yet he was ministering. I mean, these kids had been hearing the Word throughout the weekend, and so the point of the matter is they came, they had this encounter with Jesus, and while we all looked forward to the retreat, you know what we didn't look forward to? We didn't look forward to like a month later. Because what would happen was we would come to church, right? Everything is great. Youth are on fire, loving on Jesus. And then about a month later, something would happen. They would go back to the same old, same old. Their worship wasn't as, wasn't as intense. Their devotion to Jesus wasn't as intense. And so what, what, why do I bring that up? It's because that happens to a lot of us, not just when we go to retreats. It happens to us during services. 
We, we, God touches us. God speaks to us. We're being challenged. The Spirit of God is doing something inside of us, and we will to do right. But what happens is we don't do right. We go back and we do the things that we shouldn't do, or we, should, or we don't comply with what God is calling us to. And what we find here is that this church didn't just have a will to do right. This church was being transformed by the gospel. This church was being changed by the revelation of Jesus and what he did. When we talked about today during communion as Pastor Chad began to share about what communion really does, it allows us to look at the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It reminds us of our sin, but it reminds us of the sacrifice that was made in our place. And what was happening was these people were getting rocked by that truth. The revelation of Jesus was coming into their lives and they realized that they had been, because they knew, you know, most of the people that were being saved, and you'll see here as we look through um, chapter 13, you'll see that when they began to preach the gospel, they started preaching the gospel in the synagogues. Meaning that the people who were congregating in those synagogues were hearing the law every Sabbath when they came together. They were hearing the law. You know what the law was telling them? The law was telling them the same thing it tells us. It was accusing them just like it accuses us. It was letting them know that they were guilty of sin. But all of a sudden, they heard, this, they heard this revelation. It wasn't just about their sin. It wasn't just about those things. But now they heard this revelation that while you are sinful and while you sin and while you cannot comply with and accomplish the perfect will of God by yourself, Jesus came, died in your place. And no longer do you have to depend on your own righteousness, your own ability to think or try to please God and feel like, well, I guess today I did better than yesterday. But every day you can rejoice and you can revel in the finished work of the cross. Now, that's some awesome stuff. And what happened was their will was being changed, but not just that, but they were being transformed by the gospel. And that is the reason why they continued forward on the mission. And it becomes the same thing for us, church. If we are not daily being impacted by the gospel, I loved it in our connect group. Um, as, 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 we were, as we were going around and we were discussing Sister Yolanda, she was sharing. And last week I went over this, this, this thing called Lectio Divina. And what it is, is it is, a, it, is, it is a spiritual reading of the scriptures. And for those of you that weren't here, I can, you know, I, I'm sure you got the email. If you didn't get the email, just talk to me after service. I'll give it to you. But we talked about Lectio Divina and what that is, is a spiritual reading of scripture where the first thing you do is you sit down with your Bible in your prayer time and you begin to just read what the Bible says in a particular portion of scripture. And then you go from there. And then after you have read that scripture, then you begin to meditate on it. You begin to think about how this scripture applies to your life, how this scripture impacts you, what God is speaking to you about. And then the third part of it is you begin this part called oratio, which is to pray the scriptures. You begin to pray out the word of God. You begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would, would begin to show you or direct you or empower you in, in dealing with whatever that scripture is saying. And then you begin to live it out. And so it blessed my life because what was happening was she was saying, she was telling us in a group, she's like, you know, I, I've prayed and she gave us, you know, the way that she, you know, that she normally prays. And she gave us this acronym, awesome acronym and all that. So, but this was something different. She said it was a little bit difficult or awkward at first. But she's like, I know I'm going to get there. And the reason why I bring that up is because if you and I want to be transformed by the gospel, listen, I'm not just throwing stuff out there so you can be like, oh, I got this knowledge. No, 
I'm throwing this out there because if you and I are going to be transformed by the gospel, then we need to be in the word of God, and the word of God needs to be getting into us. And the way that that happens is by us reading the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, praying the scriptures, and living the scriptures. It's not just hearing the scripture on Sunday. It's not just reading your three chapters, and that way you check your list off so you get through your one-year Bible reading plan. That is all good and amazing, and I hope you get there. But more than that, I would rather you read the book of John, the gospel of John, in one year and be transformed by it than you read the entire Bible and don't change. And I know that it's not just my desire that matters. What matters more is God wants us to be changed and transformed by the power of the scriptures. And so what they didn't have is they didn't have Bibles back then like we do. They they didn't have the finished work of the New Testament. Guess what we have? We have it right here. We are able to sit down and meditate upon the word of God. We are able to sit down and pray it through. And so these people were being transformed. These people's lives were being totally changed and revolutionized by the revelation of who Jesus was. Here we see another transitional period in the book of Acts chapter 13. Actually, the final transition, and this is in your outline as well, the final transition in the book of Acts. And so what happens is, remember the initial part was when the, when, when the Holy Spirit comes down, they began preaching the gospel only in Jerusalem. Then we see the next transitional part where we talked about where they started preaching in Judea after that persecution t- took place and the church was scattered. They're preaching in Judea and then in Samaria. Remember, Philip, he goes there and, he, and, and so now the gospel begins to be preached there. Then we're seeing this transition start to take place when when Peter goes and meets Cornelius' family. Well, this is the last transition that you'll see in the book of Acts, or the last transitional piece where it goes from Paul, I mean from Peter, the apostle, being like the primary speaker, the primary person. It's almost like they don't talk about him anymore throughout the rest of this book. The person who takes the forefront is this guy by the name of Paul. He's an apostle, and he begins to preach. And so now, from Jerusalem being the headquarters, Antioch becomes his headquarters from where the church is beginning to be uh, ministering and preaching the gospel from there. And what we see is we see Paul doing this thing, and, and, and some of you will know this. It is called his missionary trips, and he does like three of them. And during these missionary trips, what he's doing is, is he is planting churches throughout the Roman world. He is planting these churches that are to Gentiles, meaning people who are non-Jewish. Those are the people that he is called to be the preacher and teacher of the Gentiles, as he says further in the New Testament. And when I look at this, it is amazing to witness church history. I love the book of Acts. I've told you this before a few times. that This is definitely my favorite book. And the reason why is because you get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. But even more so, the reason why I love it is because I get to understand that while the Scriptures cannot be added to, we can't add to Scriptures, we're not writing more Scripture to pen and to, and to be inspired. But what happens is God is still calling, he's still equipping, and he's still sending us into the mission fields to reap his harvest and in essence continue the story started in the book of Acts. That's exciting to me. Because what I see is that when I read the book of Acts, it should inspire me to say, wait a second, if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, if the Holy Spirit has not changed, if God still wills to save people, then what I am seeing and what I am viewing throughout this book is something that I can actually participate in, which is the mission of God. God is still on mission. Amen? He is still reaching. He is still saving. He is still calling people out of darkness. And at the same time, when he calls us out of darkness, he equips us for his services. 
To be mission-minded is to have the mind and the heart of Jesus. And when I talk about being mission-minded, I want you to understand this. I'm not talking about overseas missions alone, okay? Overseas missions are very important, and we need to care about people who are in places that they have not heard the gospel. We need to care about that. But you want to know something? We also need to care very much about those people who live next door to you and have not heard the gospel. Those people that you work with and have not heard the gospel. Those people who you may think, because since you know about church and you were raised in church, you think everybody else is, but have some conversation with some people, and you will be amazed how many people have never walked their foot in a church they've never been there they've they've never been to a church for a funeral because they do funerals in funeral homes they've never been to a church for anything they haven't been there they haven't heard the gospel there are so many people i told you this a few weeks ago it used to be very very much important for you to go to church you know way back in the days you know it was like if you weren't a christian or you weren't a church goer you were you were a bad person it was part of the social fiber Today, it's not like that. Today, you don't have to go to church. Today, listen, here, here, here's what I want you to understand. I read something, it was a long time ago, something on Facebook, and it was some guy that I wanted to just reach through the computer and choke him, but I didn't know him, glory to God. Even if I did, I couldn't do that, but at least I could, you know. But I didn't know him, and you know how you can like someone's thing and it'll pop up or you can share it? Well, someone shared this, and I don't remember the whole, the whole thing he was saying, but he was saying something to the effect, he's like, you know, your kids, you know, you know we, 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 should, we, we should, our kids have like a blank slate, we should basically let them make their own decisions, do their own thing, and yada, yada, yada. You have nothing. You, you can't, you know, like mold them. You shouldn't be doing that as parents. You, you understand how upset I got? Any parent who really cares about their kids would have been like, what is this guy talking about? He said, you know, and, and here's the thing. Listen, don't listen to that garbage. Because what, 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 what happens is, even if it's not him and the way he said I mean, he had a whole long paragraph on this whole thing. I mean, like, like an article, really, about this whole thought process that he had. And, and here's the thing. They, we, we, we have been, we're being taught or instructed, you know, you need to just let your kids just kind of figure it out themselves. What on earth am I here for? Am I supposed to help them figure it out? Glory to God. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just saying, haven't I been through some stuff that I could show my kids? Listen, you don't need to go that route because I went there, so I'm going to help mold you so you don't fall into the same holes I did. Hello, somebody. I'm just saying that's just practical stuff. Now, as a Christian, if I'm a believer, then I need to be very much involved in the development of my child's way of thinking. I should be, I should be the primary influence in their lives as long as I can be, glory to God. In our men's meeting the other day, we were talking about the discipline of fatherhood, right? The discipline of being a parent. And we heard some amazing testimonies and and people talking about, you know, how they still, as grown men, they still call their fathers for godly counsel. They still call their fathers. And listen, I can tell you because I'm like, you know, the first among equals here, right? Jesus senior pastor and then bishop like the first among equals. They don't call me. They're calling their daddy. Hello, somebody. They're calling their dad to ask their dad questions. And you know what? I can tell you this. I am, I am grateful that there are godly fathers who, you know, who our men can call. That is an awesome thing. The point of the matter is that if grown men are still calling their fathers for wisdom and direction, how much more should our children be looking at us for that? And how much more should we be instilling this life and trying to minister to them? And so what we need to make sure is that we keep the right mindset, right? That we understand, look, we are called to be on mission. We are called to walk this mission out. We're called to live this, and it begins in our home, amen? It begins in our home, and we are going to walk this out together as we allow the Spirit of God to lead us. And that way we don't forget, listen, we have the mission field in our home, we have the mission field in our backyard, and we have the mission field across seas. 
And so we are called to be on mission. We're called to be those people who are living on mission and doing what God has called us to do. And if we have that heart and that mindset, that's the heart and the mind of Jesus. Jesus wants us to be out there on mission. So the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, gospel mission is not accomplished if no one leaves the church. I started laughing when I wrote this down. I thought, I, I thought it was pretty funny. I said, man, people, people have to leave the church in order for us to be able to continue on in gospel mission. See, see, a lot of us, we would love to just chill out here all day long. Amen? You know, especially days like today, you know, y'all, y'all were singing. Can I just give you, I just want to give y'all a hand today, glory to God. Y'all, I just, let me applaud you, praise the name of Jesus. Y'all threw me off because y'all were singing so gloriously. Hallelujah. I was like, hallelujah, I don't even know. But anyway, you know, but that was beautiful, right? That's encouraging. Congregational worship, awesome. You have experiences like that, you don't want to leave, right? You want to hang out all day. You want, we would love to. When we sing this song. Your presence is heaven. What are we saying? I mean, we're, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm being real. Like when I'm in God's presence, time stops, you know, in, in my heart and mind, time stops. I, I don't, I don't want to rush to get out and leave and go somewhere. I want to just stay in his presence. And so it's easy for us to want to just get comfortable in community. And even for us as leaders, and, and I'll share with you, you know, when I, 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 I've told you this story before probably in, 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 um, in our vision carrier class. But when I became a Christian, I've only, been to, I've only been a member of one church prior to Faith Doma Fellowship. I was a member of one church. My mother led me to Jesus on a Friday night, and I'll talk a little bit more about this next Sunday on Mother's Day. But my mother led me to Jesus. They were attending a church, and I began going to that church on that Sunday. Came to Jesus on Friday, um, Sunday. I, was start, I started going to this congregation, part of this church, and I began to grow in this church. Never once, I want you to understand this, never once... Did I ever, until God began to call me, did I ever even think or consider being in a different church? I never once had it in my brain like, man, you know, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else one day. That never occurred. As a matter of fact, I, and, and, and when, when, when the first time that I got offered a position to be a youth pastor in another church, I was so torn in my heart. Because I loved the people of God. And I loved that church. And I, I mean, I never wanted to leave there. And it was the hardest thing for me to actually do that. But you want to know what? If I, you, you, know, you know how many lives have been impacted through us being a ministry in 10 years? Listen, I, I don't know I, I know. I know of plenty of marriages that have been restored because they walked in these doors. I know of plenty of lives that have been saved because they walked through these doors. I know plenty of people. I just got a conversation. I just had someone call me last week, and, he, and, and when he, be, he began to talk to me, and he was like, Bishop, you know, I've been here, you know, for a while, and I've been hearing you preach, and, you know, I just want to make sure I'm right with God. That is such an awesome conversation. I'm getting it. I'm hearing this. You know, you're faithful to preach the gospel. And so I just wanted to be sure. And so we have these conversations. You know what? But if I would have stood in the church where I was at, this wouldn't have happened. Because God wants his church to grow, right? And so this is what has to occur. So when we look at this, right, we look at this whole situation here. We find in verse 25, it says this. It says, And Barnabas and Paul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And so they came back to Antioch, right? They come back, they, they went and they served. If you remember a little bit earlier, the prophet Agabus, he began to talk about this famine that was going to occur. And the Bible said that when they, when they heard the prophetic word, that they all figured out what they could do, and then they, put, they, they collected an offering, and then they sent it by the hand of Barnabas and Paul, 
or Barnabas and Saul. They send them over there to Jerusalem. They go ahead. They take the, the offering to help them, to relieve them. After they finish that ministry, they come back. The Bible says that when they come back, as, they, as they're there, it goes on and tells us that there were prophets and teachers in the church in Antioch. It goes down this list of names. It talks about all of these people that are there, that these prophets and teachers. It says that they're there. They are ministering unto the Lord, meaning that they were praying. They were obviously in fasting. They were seeking God's face. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks and says, separate from me Barnabas and Saul for that thing which I've called them to do. He communicates that to them. And then the Bible says, and then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them out. And then and I think verse 4 there, it says something like, and they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. And so they began to go and do the work of the ministry. Here is the point. The point is that in order for the church to grow, people are going to have to leave. Amen. And it begs this question, though, is there a right way and a wrong way to leave a church? And that's the reason why I laugh so hard, because I'm like, you know what, it's funny, because if the church is going to grow, people have to leave, but we have to ask this question, what is the right way or wrong way to do it? And here's what I found in my Bible, or should I say didn't find in my Bible. I did not find the chapter on how do you leave a church right. Hello, somebody. I looked for it. You know, I, you know how some of your Bibles have little headings? I was like going through there. Is it in there? You know, went to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, because, you know, those are the pastoral epistles, right? And so you're supposed to get this revelation. And so I, it, it's not there. It's not there because the people in these times, they had a different mindset than we have. First of all, there wasn't like a church on every corner. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah. You, you, you didn't just go, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, I'm going there today. That, that, that wasn't how it happened. You know, it wasn't like that. It was like, you know, we were in the city of Antioch. This was the church. And, you know, we had, and then obviously there were churches that, or there were smaller congregations that got together in homes. That happened, but they were all part of one body. Amen? God didn't intend for all this division and all this, all these things. He didn't intend for all of that, but we are where we are. So here's the thing. For us as mature, as Christians that are trying to seek the Word of God, what is the right way, wrong way to do stuff? Well, here's what I'm going to tell you this. This is what I know. There are principles in the Word of God. And I was going to give you like 50 things, but I said, nah, I'm going to just keep it real simple. All right? Because I ain't got time for all that right now, but I, I, I just wanted to explain this to you. All right? And, and just break this down. Here is, here is, here is the primary Hear me when I say this, glory to God. Here is the primary reason that people leave churches, and this is the primary wrong reason. And when I say this, some of y'all are going to experience what I'm about to say. It's offense. All right? It's offense, right? You get offended. Now, here's, here's the thing. You may leave for something else, but when you trace it all back, Well, I left because, let, 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 let's just backtrack. Let's see where this church wasn't so amazing anymore. You, are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, listen to me. The, the reason why this becomes so important for us, okay, it's not because, see, because I'm not worried about you leaving, glory. I know y'all love me. Praise the Lord Jesus. <laughs> just, I'm joking. I mean, I'm not joking. I know you love me, but, but here's the, you, you ain't standing for me. You're standing for Jesus. But here's the thing. I'm not worried about that. That's not why I'm teaching you this. Because you know what happens? You're going to encounter plenty of Christians. Hello. And they're going to be in situations. And you need to let them know that reason number one why someone should not leave a church is because of offense. And when you get offended, you must deal with it. But see, it's like, and, and I'll give you this example. It's kind of like that new job that you got, right? Hello, somebody. 
it was amazing. When you went to the interview and they told you about the benefits and you was going to be getting paid more than what you were getting paid, and you was like, man, I'm working, got a better schedule. This is amazing. (laughs) And then you met your supervisor, hallelujah, not in the interview room, but actually on the work floor, glory to God. See, a different person, right? They bring you all up in here. They're trying to be professional. But then someone has a bad day and you get offended. You get bothered because they make you work overtime, and they said you was going to be off at 2. Hello, somebody. All right, you, you get off at 2, they're like, look, we need you to stay till 5. Like, yo, what's up with this? I was here at 5, now I'm leaving now. But anyway, the point of the matter is things happen, right? You get offended. You get bothered. Something occurs, and then you're, you're like, man, this job ain't, ain't all that. And then once, once see, see here, here, here's, the, here's the nasty thing about offense and bitterness. It's called a root. And so it begins to grow up, and it begins to choke out this life that's supposed to be there. And all of a sudden, because I'm offended, what I begin to do is I begin to scrutinize everything that's wrong. I begin to notice all of the issues. I'm not going to give you any examples. I'm just going to throw it out there like that, okay? I begin to notice everything that's wrong. You're like, man, Bishop preached for a long time. Hello. You, you notice everything that's wrong, right? Man, they sing for a long time. Oh, they change communion now. That's long. I mean, you just, every, every little thing just, you notice everything, glory to God. I'm just saying, you notice all this stuff, right? Like all these things bother you. And, and all of a sudden, all, man, I, I don't, I don't, does God want me there? Hold time out. Time out. The Bible says that my heart is desperately wicked. This is what the scripture says. Now, I get a new heart when I become a Christian. Amen. Glory to God. But when I read my Bible, I see that I still struggle with that old nature and that new nature. And what happens is if I don't deal with the root issue where the offense happens, I'll have 95 other reasons that I leave the church. You know, and you hear stuff like, I'm not being fed or I'm not getting this. And, you know, it it goes down the list. And here's, here's what I want you to get. The thing is, the the reason why I use the fence as the primary one is because we want to deal with the root of the issue. And I'm only going to give you one reason that's wrong, and that's the one. I'm going to give you a bunch of other ones that are right. But anyway, offense, why is that wrong? Because the Bible says that we're supposed to bear with one another. Is that not what the Scripture says? We are supposed to bear with one. That's like a weight, y'all. Okay? He's not saying just hang out with one another. He's like, deal with them. Like, bear with them. Like, like I, I don't know, I, I don't know how, how I can explain. But it's like, just like, man, just bear with them. Right? Because they are going to bother you. It's going to, I mean, they're, they're going to say something. They're going to do, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt sometimes. Right? And you got to bear with that. You got you to gotta just think of bear aspirin, glory to God. I mean, I, I don't know, just, I, you know, I, I mean, seriously, just, right, bear, I know. I, I, just, I, I mean, I, I, you, you, you get it, right? It's like a weight sometimes. It's not always easy dealing with people. It can be painful. And you know where the pain is? It's not on your shoulder. It's not necessarily on your head. It's right here in your heart. It hurts you when, you when you love people. You know what? I love it when people tell me about their offenses. I love that. I love it when they tell me about when they struggle and they're going through stuff. And I say, you know what? It's funny. I said, because you know how many mornings I don't feel like coming to deal with people? Y'all think I wake up every day like, yes, I get to go to church today. I get to deal with them today, glory to God. Like, you think that. Some mornings I'm like, yo, can I call someone to preach today? Can I I call in, glory to God? Can I just not show up? Right? But y'all were like, well, Bishop, that's your job. It's not about my job. This is part of me being a disciple. 
And whether I was the one preaching or I'm the one sitting there receiving the preaching, God has called me to bear with one another. And so what happens is we need to see how important we are to the body. We need to see that. When we understand that, we'll deal with offenses. We'll deal with those situations that arise, and that way we don't allow stuff to just get all overwhelming in our lives, and then we just can't deal with stuff. That's not what God wants. That's the wrong way to do it. Let me give you some right, some, some reasons that I think that are actually, that I think they would be sound. I can't give you scripture on these, but I can tell you like the offense part, just, you know, go to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians will talk to you about bearing with one, or in, one another in love and dealing and maintaining unity within the body and things like that. And you can go ahead and you can cross-reference from there and you'll find yourself all over the place with God dealing with you, how we're supposed to deal with each other. But one of the things that I want you to know, bearing with one another does not say or not imply that you should be abused. Hello. It's because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the church where it's like, you just got to submit to everything. What about when it's not, it's, it's anti-biblical submission? Are you hearing me? If Jesus is a senior pastor, he's not asking you to submit to anything other than what his word declares. Are you here with me? And so when the Bible talks about stuff, you know, like, for example, we talk about community. We talk about connect. We talk about these life groups. Why? Because we made something up? No, because it's rooted in the scriptures. Oh, y'all, y'all got quiet right there. Y'all supposed to say, amen, bishop. Glory to God. Listen, we, we're talking to you about getting connected in life because what? The Bible. It's not because bishop wants you to go to someone's house. Glory to God. It's not because I want you to do that because I get some kind of extra bonus. I don't get a bonus. Listen, you get the bonus because you get into relationship. You get to know people and you grow because that's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. You see, but people will take that and be like, yeah, but I don't want to do that. It's not about what you want. Because here's the thing. I don't always want to either. All right? I, 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 listen, on the night that we have Connect, I promise you I can do something else. Are you hearing me? There's something else I can do. That for, you, for those of you that get up on Saturday morning and you're there at 10 o'clock in the morning, I know there's something else you can do. Glory to God. I'm just saying. I know what I'm doing at 10 o'clock in the morning. If I'm not up, I'm dead asleep. Glory to God. I'm not thinking about having coffee with someone else or breaking bread or talking about the scriptures. I want to just sleep. But I'm saying... You guys benefit, right? Because that's when your schedule allows. On the, for those of you that meet on Sunday after church, I know there's something else you could do. After you eat, glory to God, you want to take a nap. Amen, somebody. I'm just saying, okay, there is something else that you could do. But here's the point. The point is there's always something else that I can do with my time and with my life. But if I'm submitted to Jesus and I'm going to obey what the scriptures teach and I'm going to be who God has called me to be because it's not just a to-do list it is God has called me into community out of darkness into relationship with brothers and sisters so we call that right we, we, when we, 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 we ask you to submit to those kind of things we ask you to submit to what the scriptures teach but then there's something called spiritual abuse okay that's like control, manipulation domination, intimidation all these things are forms of abuse And I'm going to tell you something. You confront abuse, and if it is not dealt with, not repented of, not recognized, I don't think you need to sit there and be abused forever. Amen? I'm just saying, I'm giving you my opinion, and I don't don't think that we abuse anyone, so I'm safe to say you don't have to worry about that here. If you confront us and you let us know something, we are going to always, 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 let's go back to the Bible. Are we asking you to do something that is unscriptural? Because if we are, then you have all right to say, I'm not with that. But if we are asking you to do what the scriptures teach, you have a problem with Jesus, not us. Amen? How about unbiblical doctrine? You think that that's a good reason not to be in a place? 
I would say yes. I think that the Bible teaches that we should not be in a place where there is unbiblical doctrine, where there is activity that is continually going on that is not biblical. Okay? Unbiblical doctrine shouldn't be adhered to. This is the thing. There is only, and y'all got to hear what I'm going to say. There is only one correct interpretation of Scripture. Did you hear what I just said? There is only one correct interpretation of Scripture. How do we get all these churches? That has nothing to do with interpreting Scripture. That has to do with difference of opinion in certain areas because when it comes back to the basics of stuff, there may be certain things, but here's what I want you to understand. There is one correct interpretation of Scripture. Many applications. One correct interpretation. I'll give you one example. The Bible says we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, right? One interpretation. We're supposed to love God with all of ourselves. We're supposed to love God with all of our being. How does that apply? It may apply many different ways. If you're a single man, single woman, when loving God with all your heart, with all of your soul, means that you are loving him directly, you and him, about serving him, loving others, doing things you're supposed to be doing. If you're a married person, there's a different application of that scripture. Because I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And the way that I do that, in part, is by loving my spouse or respecting my spouse. If I'm a parent, it goes the same way. See, here's the point that I'm trying to make. One interpretation of the Scripture, many different applications. The way you get the best application of the Scripture is by getting the most accurate interpretation of the Scriptures. And so we look at our Bibles in this church, and we take the Scriptures very seriously. And we want to make sure that what we do, if we can find it in the Bible, then we want to follow it to the best of our ability. Nothing is going to be perfect. That's a guarantee. But we want to follow what the Scriptures teach. Here's why this is so important. Because if there is a church where the Bible is not the highest and final authority, there is a problem. It's just like a worldview. If there is something higher than God's word in my life that I hold is more sacred or, more, or more, um, more, more authoritative than God's word, there's an issue. Because then something else is taking the position of Jesus. And so unbiblical jo- doctrine, so, spiritual, so, so we would say spiritual, um, spiritual abuse is one of them. We also know that unbiblical doctrine is another one. And how about this, unaddressed sin? What do you think about that? Unaddressed sin. If there is sin that is just running rampant in a a, a congregation and it's not addressed, you cannot continue to be in that place. You can't continue to just chill and just be like, well, it's going to get better. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. If people choose to not address sin, and for us as leaders, I can tell you, as imperfectly as we may do it, we do. You bring sin to our attention, we want to address sin. We don't want to just let you just continue on in your sin. I Listen, you, you can ask anyone that's close to me. And when I say close to me, like people in my connect groups and things like that. Listen, I ask the serious questions. I ask the serious questions because it's my job. I have to, listen, I, gotta, I don't know about anybody else in here. I got to give an account for your soul. That's scary because I got to go before Jesus and be like, Lord, I shepherded them the best way that I could. And he's going to be like, really? Did you ever ask them about their spiritual life? Did you ever ask them about their personal life? Did you ever, that's all part of shepherding. Did you ever do that? Did you ever get involved? It's very important. Unaddressed sin, you can't just continue to stay in a situation like that. Another one that is a little bit less intense would be like a change of vision or change of leadership. I've seen this as well. But what happens is the leadership in the church changes, and then when the leadership changes, the whole vision and everything in the church changes. Well, here's what I understand. If you came to Faith Elma Fellowship and I decided to leave, and, you know, I, and I would assume the leaders that are here, they all love this vision and they're, you know, they're all committed to it. So if one of them took the position of leadership, I don't think much would change. But here's the thing. There would be certain things that would change just on a, on, a, you know, on a natural level or whatever. But other than that, the vision would remain the same. 
But what happens is when you come to a place, you believe in the vision of that place. You believe in what is going on. And so when leadership changes, and it doesn't have to be leadership because sometimes leaders get a different vision. And they go in a different direction. And then you have to ask yourself the question, do I agree with that? Because if you don't, you know what you're going to do? You're going to cause division. Why? Man, I wish we could go back to the old way. It ain't going to happen. So what does that mean? You have to ask the Spirit of God what would have to happen in your life. And then obviously for the practical reasons, which would be like moving to another state or someplace that is too far to travel and things of that nature. And so those are practical reasons. But here's the point. The point is that when I look at these scriptures here, and I take this at face value and I say, God, you know, what do I see as some kind of example? Or is there like, you know, some type of pattern that I find in here? Well, what I find is that, you know, first of all, if I look at this, and you can write these notes down because you're going to talk about this in your, in, in your Connect meeting. But if there's a pattern that is there, ideally what we have to get is this, is that there is freedom in Christ to choose where to commit as a church home. But as I was saying earlier, we should be so committed to our love for God and our family in Christ to the degree that it would hurt us to leave. I told you a little bit about my history and when, I, when it was my time or when, when God, when I first got the opportunity to go and youth pastor somewhere else, I remember weeping, crying. And y'all know me, I'm not, I'm not a, like a crying kind of guy. I, I wish I was, but what I'm saying is I'm not that guy that just cries, you know, at just anything. I was crying. I, would, I, I used to work security, and I used to be in a booth, and I'm the kind of guy, like, I like to prepare, like, what I'm going to say beforehand. So I'd be up in that front booth, and I'm, like, preparing myself what I'm going to say. I couldn't even get through it because I was bawling because it hurt me to even think about leaving my church family. But why was that? Because as I love Jesus, I love you. As I come to love him more, I come to love you more. Now, that doesn't happen if, you know, I just come on Sunday and I don't participate in relationship with anyone. Then I really don't, it really doesn't matter. But when I'm doing what is biblically correct and I'm walking in relationship with God and I'm committing to relationship with my brothers and sisters, it hurts me to think about not being with you. See, like my life, when I, when I think about my wife, I could not see my life without her. Seriously. I don't say that because I'm trying to earn points. I mean, I, I hope I did, but... <laughs> I'm just saying, on a real level, okay, I can't see my, I mean, I, when, listen, when my wife is not home, like, I, honestly, she goes away on business sometimes, and she's not places, when, when I go anywhere without her, I feel lost. Uh, good, right? Thank you, I appreciate that, I paid them to say that, so, you know, hopefully that earned a few more. <laughs> listen, I tell her this stuff, I'm like, man, I hate going anywhere. Without her, I mean, like, when I go to, like, you know, things that, you know, just men, I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about in general. Like, if I go to a birthday party and she's not with me, it's just weird. It's, it, it's, it's not natural. And so, you know, you, you, you get, I, I don't know about you, man. I, I used to, when I first got married, you know, I used to, man, I'm crazy, but I'd be driving home, and I would think about, like, if my wife died, and I would literally cry, like, God, please be merciful. Seriously, like, I mean, all jokes aside, because I'm like, man, I, I just, I'm, and I'm, I, y'all think I'm trying to earn points. I'm not trying to do that. That is, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, this is what happens. I don't, I would lie to you to say that I think about you like I think about my wife. I do not, okay? <laughs> that would be unnatural, and you don't want that, amen? But here's the point. The point is, I am in a real covenant relationship with her. I am in a real covenant relationship with you as well. I remember, and I, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. I remember when, when Minister Dawn when she had Lucas, remember that she was, in the, she was in the hospital and there was some complications that occurred. And for those of you that never heard her testimony, she has a powerful testimony and she would love to share it with you. Um, I won't share the whole thing. 
But what I will share with you is, I remember when Minister Marisol Bennett, she called me on the morning. We went to the hospital to go visit them. And we went to the hospital to go visit them. She was doing fine. Everything seemed okay. The doctor came in there, checked her, said we couldn't see her, that, you know, we had to leave. So we all left. And then, and then Minister Marisol called me up the next morning. She's like, Bishop, did you hear? And I was like, no, I didn't hear. And she's like, yeah, they have Dawn. She's like in ICU. They're not even sure if she's going to make it. And I was like, man, we just saw her last night. And I remember that the first thing that I did was when I hung up the phone with her, you know, I, I couldn't, I, I'm going to be straight up. I couldn't even think, but I have this little black book. It's like Bible promises, glory to God. And I went and I got that black book and I said healing. And I turned to healing that healing page. And I began to pray the scriptures. I remember I began bawling and weeping before God for my sister. Because I couldn't, I, I couldn't imagine life without my sister being here. And then I began to feel the burden of my brother Lewis, and I felt that. Why? Because these are my family in the Lord. And so here's the point. The point is that when I really have relationship with Jesus and I really have relationship with others, leaving a church is not just like that. I deal with what needs to be dealt with. And so when I look at this, ideally, here's what we need to understand looking at these scriptures, is that the mission, God's heart in sending people out of the congregation is kingdom expansion and gospel advancement. That's the mindset that we have got to get and that we've got to understand. That when God, God's heart to send people out of a congregation is because of kingdom expansion. He wants to expand his kingdom, and he wants to advance the gospel. That's what he wants to do. That is his heart. That is his mindset. He doesn't want people walking away offended and walking away hurt and all that kind of stuff. He wants people. And I thank God. Let me tell you something. I thank God for some of the, some of the most amazing people that have come to this church, that have come out of places where they were spiritually abused, come out of places where there was unbiblical doctrine. And I, and, and I just want you to know that if you've come here from those type of situations, I thank God for bringing you here. For making, you part of this, for, for making you part of this congregation because God has brought us some amazing people that, I, I mean, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by his goodness to us. Amen? But here's, here's what happens. We should have that mindset. When we look at the pattern, is there a pattern there? Here's the pattern that we can see in the scriptures. In verse 25, we see there that they had accomplished the ministry. They were faithful to do a task that wasn't necessarily preaching, it wasn't necessarily teaching, it was to be faithful to go do a task that some people would call menial, but it was something that was very important. So the first thing in the pattern is we see is faithfulness. The second thing is, it says now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And so Paul and Barnabas are part of this list, which shows me something, that they were part of the local ministry. So the first thing is that they were faithful. Then they had local ministry. They were part of a congregation as part of the teaching and prophetic ministry within the congregation. Within a congregation, they were there as part of it. The next part of the pattern that we see is that they were doing what? They were ministering unto the Lord in verse 2. It says, so, so they're ministering in a corporate way. They're all together worshiping Jesus. It's not in by themselves. They're worshiping God together. And then the next thing it says, it says, and the Holy Spirit spoke. So then we have corporate prophecy. It's not like someone just said, well, I'm just going to do this. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit spoke. The Holy Spirit spoke in front of everyone and let everyone know we need to separate these people for a certain task. We have a purpose for them. And then we see the next thing is that after they fasted and after they prayed in the second part, in, 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 in the second part of verse, in, I mean in verse 3, after they had fasted and after they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Which, what does that mean? That means a corporate confirmation and recognition. Every 
everyone knew it. It wasn't something that happened in the back closet somewhere. The Spirit of God spoke. And you know what? The Holy Spirit still speaks today. Amen? He still communicates who he wants to call out. When I, when I started to receive my call from God to go out, it was in front of the entire church. As a matter of fact, it didn't happen until my pastor put his arm around me, and that is when God released a prophetic word into my life about him launching me from that place. That's the way that the Spirit of God spoke. It's not to say it's going to happen with every single person, but what I want you to know is that God has no issue being public about what he's doing. He wants the congregation to know. And then in verse 4, it shows us that he was sent out by the Holy Spirit, which is divine blessing. And so you have that there as being a type of pattern that you want to try to follow when it comes to what? Kingdom expansion and people moving on for the glory of Jesus. Amen? Question number two here. And I'm going to go through these really quick because we got a little bit of time, and I want to make sure that you get all of this for the conversations that you'll have. Say this with me. Gospel mission is not accredited if spiritual warfare doesn't happen. Gospel mission is not accredited if spiritual warfare does not happen. Here's what I want you to understand. And you look at these verses here from verse 6 to verse 12. There is this guy, and I, and I just want you to see this. I won't read the whole thing because I want you to get the, the picture. It says, Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. Now notice these things about him. He's a sorcerer or a magician. He's someone who was into, you know, magic and stuff like that. He was a false prophet, meaning that he was someone who was prophesying lies. He was speaking forth, but it wasn't coming from God. And he was a Jewish person. So he was a person who knew the law of God. He was a person who knew what God's standards were. He was a false prophet because he didn't adhere to those standards. And he was a person who was involved in witchcraft in some way, shape, or form. And so this person is one of the people that is confronted. The Bible says that the proconsul Sergius, he's the person here, and he calls the disciples to him. He calls Barnabas and Saul because of what? Because he wants to hear the gospel. But when, he, when they go and they begin to communicate the gospel to them, what happens is they are confronted by this guy. And this guy begins to have this issue because he's like, hold on a second. I'm the one who's leading the pro-council. I'm the one the pro-council's listening to. Now these guys are coming and they're preaching this gospel to him. And he's not going to depend on me anymore because he can depend on Jesus. He doesn't need my blessing anymore because he has the blessing of Jesus. He doesn't need to fear me anymore because now he can fear God and he can walk in faith and walk in the blessing of the Lord. So the Bible says that this guy opposes him. And this is why spiritual warfare becomes so important. Because this is it. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom that manifests in and through us as the gospel is preached and believed. Disciples are made and matured. And the churches are planted in different locations. Here's what happens. What what, what takes place is we look at the life of Jesus. And what did Jesus do when he came on the scene? Didn't Jesus rebuke demons? Didn't Jesus heal sickness? Didn't, and all of this was when they were preaching, they were saying what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the way that we knew that the kingdom of heaven was at hand was because spiritual strongholds were being pulled down. Because what was happening was there was a kingdom that offered liberty, that offered freedom, that offered power, and it was coming through. And listen, if Jesus would have came on the scene and never done any of that, he wouldn't have been accredited as being the one who he was supposed to be. Are you hearing me? And so if there is a church that is not seeing those strongholds in their community, in their cities, being pulled down in lives. In other words, if you're not seeing people come to Jesus... 
There's an issue. And listen, don't, don't please do me a favor. Don't just measure people coming to Jesus by numbers in a building. That's not always true. Listen, we've seen some nice growth, and I thank God for that. You know, in, in this year, I thank him for what he's doing, and I believe that we're going to continue to grow. We're already talking about, you know, going to a second service so we can make more room and all of that. But here's what I want you to understand. It is not about that. I told you the story of the gentleman that called me. He's been sitting here for a few months now. He's been hearing the gospel. I've opened up the altar a few times, never responded. And yet the Holy Spirit was working on his heart all of this time. The Holy Spirit was gripping his heart. The Holy Spirit was convicting him. And so listen, it is so very important that we do understand. Listen, God is moving. And we need to be those people that are in prayer, that are seeking God's face. On Friday night, listen, Minister Juan, he began to cry out. And, and, and I, I want to I encourage you, church. Don't wait for an email from me. Don't wait for an email from Minister Juan. Don't wait for anything. Make it a point. The first Friday of every month, the house of God here is open up for us to come together and cry out to Jesus on behalf of our city. It's not just a youth thing. Hello. It is a church thing for us to be able to come together. At 9.30 every Sunday morning, we have a time that we come together corporately and we pray. At 10 o'clock, we lift petitions before the Lord. This is so very important because, look, I believe and I give you the benefit of the doubt that you pray by yourself. Amen? But here is what I do know is that when two or more gather together in his name, he is there in the midst of them. We need to come together as a people of God and cry out to him. Listen, this is not just about us getting into heaven. This is about us bringing the kingdom of heaven into this earth. This is about us ministering life to as many people. And that does not happen happen if spiritual warfare is not taking place. Spiritual warfare is not won until the natural realm reflects liberty and authority and the kingdom of heaven that the kingdom of heaven offers. Listen, if we're not seeing that, then spiritual warfare is not being won. My life is in bondage all over the place. If there's all kind of things that are just being destroyed by the enemy, and listen, I am, I am far from the guy that blames the devil for everything because it's not always the devil's fault. Hello. A lot of stuff that we go through is not because the devil is, the devil is over there in China somewhere messing with someone over there in North Korea trying to make them blow someone up. He's not messing with you. Hello. I'm just saying. There's only one devil. He's not omnipresent, glory to God. He's not everywhere at all times. There are demons that work for him, absolutely, 100%. But, but if we can just be frank and be honest about it, there are some of us that experience stuff. It, it has nothing to do with demons. It has nothing to do with the devil. It has to do with our flesh. It has to do with our unwillingness to repent of sin. It has to do with our unwillingness to believe the gospel as what the gospel says, that we are new creations in Christ, and no longer will I live as that old man wants to live, but I will live and walk in the newness of life because of what Jesus has done. Some of us go through stuff because of that. That's not, you can rebuke the devil all day long. The devil is not the issue. And so what happens is, like I said, Jesus did this, his apostles did this, and we have been filled with the same Holy Spirit, we've been given the same authority, and we have the same weapons at our disposal. They don't have anything more than what we have. They believed more than we believe. They trusted more than we trust. And that's why they saw more than we are seeing. But in our days, if we want to see the glory of God, then we got to be those people that say, wait a second, this is what the word of God says. This is what the kingdom of God offers. And until I see this, I will engage in spiritual warfare. And here's what I want you to understand about spiritual warfare. Our efforts in prayer and fasting to pull down strongholds, rebuke the enemy and his plans, we must do that. 
but they must be met with our personal repentance of sin, our obedience to the scriptures, and a lifestyle of faith that says, I believe the gospel. Listen, we can rebuke, we can bind, we can loose, we can do all of that. And, and, and what happens to us is this. When we are in prayer, we sense this liberty, right? We sense this freedom. We sense all of these things that occur. But then we get up and we begin, to, we begin to live our life. And it's like we walk from a place of freedom step by step into more bondage. Step by step into more. It's the same old, same old. Wait a second. We need to live our life according to what the scriptures say. Not a fake freedom. But living and believing what the gospel communicates. Because God says that there is liberty where the spirit of the Lord is. Amen? The third thing, please say this after me. Gospel mission is not advanced if we are not persistent. <clears throat> now, there are a lot of verses here, okay, that we can read through chapter um, 13, verses 13 to verse 52. And what you're going to notice is that as he begins to communicate, as, as Paul begins to communicate, he goes in here and he begins to preach in the synagogues. He finds the people that are in there, and when he begins to speak, if you look at verse 16 with me, it says, And Paul stood up, motioning with his hands, and he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. What he had done is he went into the synagogue, and what they did is they read the law and the prophets, and they said prayers, and then what they, what they did is they would ask someone who was respected, and so there must have been some way that they knew that these guys were respected leaders, and they asked them to give them some kind of exhortation. And so when they said, he, he, gets, he gets the opportunity to give the exhortation, he acknowledges that there are two groups of people in this room. There's a group of people that are the covenant people of God, which are the people of Israel, and then there are people who fear God. So two different groups of people. There are, there are those who are Jewish and those who are Gentile. And he begins to preach the gospel to them. He begins to go through this whole dissertation, and he begins to talk about how in the beginning God does this, and he begins to walk them from Abraham and brings them all the way to David. And then when he gets to David, he starts talking about from David's line is where Jesus comes. And he begins to talk about Jesus, and then he talks about in this Jesus is where he preaches, is where God offers forgiveness of sins. Now time out for a moment, because this is when the gospel is being preached to them. He's saying to them, listen, God is offering forgiveness of sins and justification from what you could not have been justified by the law. He begins to communicate this, and in the Bible says that many of them believed the Gentiles afterwards, when everyone leaves the place, they come to them and say, listen, we want you guys to preach this again the next Sabbath. The Bible says that almost the whole city came to hear. Now look, what happened was the, the, the leaders of that place became jealous. That's what the Bible says. They got jealous because what? Because they couldn't bring in the crowd. They got jealous because Paul came in here and nobody, and he brought in all of these people. And then the Bible says from that moment on, this opposition rose up. There were people who believed, but then there, were, but then there was opposition, opposition that rose. So I want you to notice this. When you read this, you can look at this in your connect, in, in, in your connect groups. Notice the determination in these, in, in these sent messengers. They communicated the gospel clearly, and they communicated in love. They're very clear. They communicated who God was. They, 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 these people knew about their sin, so they didn't have to beat them up about their sin. And then he told these people about Jesus, who had been rejected, who died in their place. And then they told him that if you put faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sins, and you can be justified. The same thing that God offers us today. You can have a new life. You can have a new relationship with God. You can walk with him. That's what he communicated. He made it very clear. Same gospel message. He communicates the gospel, and then the scripture shows us something. It says that some people gave a joyful reception to the message. 
Some people were joyful. They were like, praise God, we want to be saved. We accept justification. We accept this salvation through Jesus. But then there were other people that envied them. Then after the envy came, the contradiction came. After contradiction came blasphemy and opposition, persecution, and expulsion from others. And so what was happening was they were joyfully received by some. And everywhere you'll see them preaching throughout the rest of the New Testament. This is how it is. Some people receive it. Some people reject it. And what happens is the same thing that happens every place where there are people who do not believe. When people do not believe the gospel, they reject and they will try to oppose the gospel message. It is no different in our days today, church. It is the same thing. The people who oppose, the people who reject, the people who are in opposition, it is simply because they are not believers. And so what do we do? We preach the gospel to them. We love them. And then we do like the disciples did, and we, at some point we wipe our feet and wash our hands, and we say, okay, we've done our job. Now you're in God's hands. That's what the apostle does here. That's what they do throughout this thing. The gospel preached is the key to life for those who believe, but it, is a, but it is an offense for those who disbelieve. And what has to happen for us is we must be firm, fully and firmly convinced of the truth and the power of the gospel before we will be persistent in sharing it, which is the key to seeing lasting fruit. These guys didn't just stop preaching the gospel after they were rejected once. They continued to preach the gospel. They continued to live the gospel. And if we want to see the fruit that the gospel can bring, we're going to have to be persistent. We're going to have to be out there sharing the gospel. We're going to have to be out there living the gospel. We're going to have to accept rejection and continue to love. Amen? My question in closing for you is this. Where are you struggling to live out the gospel mission? And it's a two-part question. What steps are you taking to move forward? I don't just want to know where you're struggling. And when I say I, I'm not in all of your connect groups, but your connect groups, you're going to talk about this. So think about that. Where is it that you are struggling to live out the gospel mission? And what steps are you taking in order for you to live out this mission? You repenting of sin? Are you becoming equipped? You know, if you struggle in sharing the gospel, we have our phase two, our mentoring program. You know what it talks, what what it's talking about? It's talking about sharing the gospel. If that's where you struggle living out this gospel mission, we can, we, we can equip you for that. We can't, we, we can't preach it for you. Hello. We can equip you for it. Have you recognized and acknowledged where it is that you're struggling, where it is that you're not living out this gospel mission? I ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads, please. Let me pray with you today. Grab your neighbor's hand, please. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, you are gracious and kind to us. And Lord, we come to you today, Lord, recognizing how good you are, how gracious you are to us. And Holy Spirit, I do pray for each and every person that is in this place. My God, that we all would be on mission together. God, you know there are different things that hinder us. There are different things that stop us. I just pray that you would change our lives, God. Change our mindsets where they need to be changed. Liberate us from fears. Liberate us from doubts. Liberate us from every hindrance to your mission in our lives. God, I pray for each person that is here, my Lord, that may not know you. 
Heavenly Father, may you soften their hearts to your gospel truth. May you soften their hearts to the reality of their desperate need for you. God, may you give them conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And may you grant them repentance, my God. Holy Spirit, I pray today that your kingdom come in our lives and your will be done. God, I pray today that you would be glorified in us. Use us as your witnesses. Use us as your gospel messengers. I pray this, Lord God, and I thank you.